0: Welcome to Pookie Ponders, the podcast where I explore big questions with brilliant people. Today's question is, what drives us to read and write really twisted stories? And I'm in conversation with Mark
1: Edwards. I'm Mark Edwards. Um, I'm an author of psychological thrillers. My mission statement is that I write uh, scary books in which frightening things happen to ordinary people. I've written 16 books now, um, including six that were co-authored with Louise Voss, and the most well-known ones include The Magpies, Follow You Home, um, The Retreat and Here to Stay. Um, and after many years of trying, um, I became a full-time author about six or seven years ago. And um yeah, I've been do- making a living as a as an author since 2014.
0: Living the dream.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really excited to uh, talk to you because uh, you are one of my favourite authors and I read everything you write but I love your twisted stories basically so I wanted to to, (laughs) to chat with you about what motivates you to write stuff like that and why do you think I mean a lot of people read what you write what why do we love this stuff?
1: Um, Well the reason that I I uh, write it is because it is the kind of things that I like reading um, or the kind of things that I like watching as well, because I'm quite heavily influenced by TV and films as much as I am by books. Um, And when I started out writing, when I was in my early 20s, I didn't really know what kind of writer I wanted to be. I'd sort of grown up reading Stephen King and James Herbert and Dean Koontz and all all the horror authors. And I liked bits of science fiction and stuff as well. And then in my early twenties, I got into things or authors like Donna Tart and Brett Easton Ellis and Ian McEwan. Um, so a bit more literary, but still quite dark and, and gruesome sometimes. And I found that whatever I wrote, there would usually be a murder or something quite dark would happen quite quickly. Um, and it's just that's just what I've always gravitated towards, and I have tried to write comedy, yeah. and failed completely. I can I can slip some dark humour into my books, some black humour, but if I set out to write a rom com, for example. Um, I mean, crime writers always say this, but there'd be a dead body by the end of chapter two, and (laughs) the police would be involved, or or someone would be being gaslighted or something. So, like, that's just the way that my imagination works. And what is it that appeals about those kind of stories? Um, I I think I was thinking about this before we started chatting, and I think that when I was ten or eleven or twelve we got our first video recorder, our first VCR machine. And there was a news agency around the corner where we used to be able to go and rent out horror movies. And I would pretty much let anyone, any kids go in and, and take anything. Uh, and my mum wasn't bothered. She let me rent The Evil Dead and American Wealth in London and and all of these, these gory, scary films. And um, I think that... I've been trying to recapture the feeling that I got when I watched those ever since. I used to watch Hammer House of Horror and things like that on TV as well. And I used to read lots of comics like 2000 AD and Eagle and things like that. And um, yeah, and, and these days I actually find it much harder to be scared or to be disturbed. Almost like I've become slightly numb to it. And I'm and I'm always seeking that thrill or that chill that I got when I was when I was a kid. Um, and the same with the books that I read. I remember being so engrossed when I used to read Stephen King when I was a young teenager, like completely transported into the world of the books. Um, and it, I find although I do still read lots and still love reading. I do find it harder to become completely immersed these days. Why do uh, you I think that is? I may I mean it's partly to do with distract distractions, but I think it's also to do with I suppose this is this is true of all aspects of getting older, isn't it? That as you once you've experienced something once or a few times it's harder and harder to, um, to feel the initial kind of the original thrill that you did when you first encountered it, Um, which sounds quite gloom, a gloomy way of kind of looking at things, but but, yeah, I'm always, I'm I'm always kind of searching for that, that sweet kind of hit that you, that you get when you're, you're younger. Um, And it's the same, my, my favorite book is The Secret History by Donna Tart. And I've just spent the last 30 years searching for a book that would affect me or that I would I would love as much as that book. And so what I'm doing with my own books is that I'm trying to write the kind of books that I that I would want to read. And I'm trying to make people feel just even if it's just a fraction of the way that I that I felt when I first read Stephen King or Donna Tartt, or when I first read Elizabeth Haynes' um, Into the Darkest Corner, or Mo Hayder, or James Ellroy, all these authors that had like a big um, emotional impact on me when I started out. And um, and there's also, I think, with the kind of twisted and twisty stories, there's also a kind of intellectual challenge of, as well, of of constructing these puzzles um, and trying to kind of uh fool people or lead people down the wrong path and surprise them and and it's the worst thing you can do is be boring or predictable so a lot of a lot of work and a lot of effort goes into trying to lead people down the wrong kind of dark path uh, I'm writing a book set in the woods at the moment. So lots of my metaphors would be to do with, with woods, which
0: <laughs> in the woods. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, it could be worse. You could be in an avatar or something. Go on. I'll go with yeah. woods analogies.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I, 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 I love horror movies. It's October at the moment and I am doing a thing where I'm watching a horror movie every night um some old favorites and some new ones and it's only the seventh as we're speaking now and I feel quite exhausted already having (laughs) six or seven nights of of horror movies but um yeah I'm I would say that only sort of one in three that I'm watching um impress me or scare me in any way and i'm i'm finding it harder and harder to find that horror movie that really that really affects me or makes me jump
0: wow but as you say maybe because you're yeah so exposed to this kind of all the time and do you find that in your writing are you having to go to greater lengths or because your writing's changed quite a lot in the time that i've been uh reading what you write i think certainly it's become more um that what you're saying about that kind of intellectual challenge i think there's a lot more twists and turns now aren't there
1: yeah they have they have got more complex i mean the early books like the magpies and because she loves me were quite straightforward um and now i mean i've made life harder and harder for myself (laughs) as i've gone on because the books have got ever more complicated and so when you get to the editing stage and you've got this kind of massive tangle of plot with all of these characters and and so much going on that it, it's, it's much harder and more challenging to write them. And every time I finish a book, I think, okay, the next one's going to be simple and straightforward. My editor was joking with me last night saying, the next book just put like three people on a train or two characters in an, in an elevator. <laughs> and stop trying to write things that are so complex. Um, But yeah, I suppose there's that, I don't know whether I'm, um, I I think that I'm trying not to repeat myself. That's one of the challenges. Yeah. Um, Not just in the stories and the settings, but also, um, I mean, all of the tropes that you throw into all these kind of books. and there's only so many times you can have somebody kind of I don't know followed along a dark street or to feel like they're being watched or or to get some kind of spooky message or be stranded somewhere without a mobile phone there's there's all of these things that have been done so many times before and 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 it's it's really hard to keep coming up with new and original ideas or to or to put those ideas together in an original way um but luckily kind of i'm literally touching wood as i say this i am still finding it reasonably easy to come up with new ideas but it's kind of getting harder to to make sure that each book. i want each book to be better than than the last one i don't ever want to feel like i'm just phoning it in as they say so yeah it's uh it's hard um, and so going back to the kind of horror thing, whether I'm becoming slightly more extreme, the book that I'm writing now is much, I'm trying to make it as scary as possible, scarier than my last couple um, anyway. So yeah, I've got lots of masked figures kind of lurking in, in a dark forest and all of this um, talk of pagan rituals and and um and sa- sacrifices and and that kind of and folk horror and, and and yeah I'm kind of it's, it's almost like a tribute to Stephen King this book I'm really kind of going back to the Stephen King books that I loved when I was a teenager and drawing inspiration from those.
0: That's such a contrast to your most uh, recent book though so you actually just shifted continents and set the last one in the, in the States, didn't you? And, and that sounds like a really different feel. Um.
1: Yeah. Well, this one, the one I'm writing now, the one in the woods, that's also in America. So okay. it's going to be set in Maine. Another Stephen King reference there. Um, but yeah, the so the house guest was set in New York and I like, I really love writing stories about people but the kind of fish out of water, people going on a trip somewhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Bad stuff happening to them. So my most popular book still is Follow Your Home, which is about a couple who go to Romania and uh, they do this kind of interfailing trip that ends, that goes horribly wrong when they get kicked off a train in the middle of Romania. Um, and, then I've written a number of more domestic books, like Here to Stay, which is mainly just set in a house in London. And so I wanted to go back to those, that theme of having a couple or a, or a family going somewhere abroad and encountering scary things. So that's kind of where the idea for um, The House Guest came from the couple staying at an Airbnb in Brooklyn, and then a stranger turns up on the doorstep. That was kind of like an image that I had. And then the story kind of came from that original scene of the woman turning up in the rainstorm, and ringing the doorbell and saying that she, she knows the owners and, and can she come in? And I did when I started writing, I didn't even know where that story was going to go. And it took me quite a long time to figure it out. Um,
0: that's really interesting because that scene was so vivid like I can remember literally like hearing the rain and imagining this kind of very wet bedraggled person and you're kind of thinking yeah. oh, would you, wouldn't you? would you would you let her in and obviously because I know it's a book you've written I'm thinking this isn't a good idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I know and, and some people say well they, why would they let her in? Well A the answer is there wouldn't be a book if they didn't. <laughs> They're also kind of I think you have to the, the characters. My characters are often quite naive and trusting yeah. and they're nice people and um, they want to help mm. other people out and they often kind of pay the price for it in some way. Um, I don't know what that says about me, the way that I'm kind of constantly punishing people for doing good deeds. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it doesn't actually put people off. Uh, Doing doing nice things for for people, but but you're but yeah, there's a kind of common arc in my book. So you'll start with usually a nice kind of guy who's a bit kind of passive and easygoing, who's then put through the ringer and finds and has to make like very difficult decisions, and hope either ends up completely screwed up by everything that they've been through, or they or they kind of find uh, reserves of strength that they didn't know that they had, or maybe both, maybe both. Um, But yeah, I I do, I like the idea of setting my books. I mean, I've kind of got two or three ideas for books in America, including the two that I've written or almost finished writing. Um, But yeah, I kind of that's my favourite genre of film as well books is ones where people go on some kind of expedition or trip, whether it's into a forest or into some caves or a desert, the outback, whatever. And then they, and then horrible stuff happens to them. <laughs> does mean, this make but, you
0: trepidatious when you go on trips of your own <laughs> let's go on holiday fat no <laughs> well
1: i mean in, when i was younger that's kind of what my holidays used to be like i mean follow your home was based on a real experience that i had of um i i, I think i was 19 or 20 and my then girlfriend and i went into um and we had this whole kind of Grand tour of Europe, a whistle-stop tour of Europe. Plan. We were going to we kind of circled around the whole continent, Western Europe anyway. I think this was actually before the Berlin Wall came down. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> and um, we, on our second or third day, we got on this train from Paris to Avignon, and we sat down. I think we were only on the train about half an hour and then suddenly we were waking up and it was the, m- it was cause it was an overnight train. We woke up and it was morning and all of our stuff was gone. Like our passports had gone. Oh, no. uh, we had travelers checks as you had at the time. Um, our interrail tickets, our backpacks were still there with all of our clothes in. Um, and apparently, according to like news reports and I still don't know whether this is an urban myth or whether it really happened there were gangs of bandits going in France at that time going around trains getting sleeping gas into people's compartments and sending them to sleep because I never used I can fly to Australia without falling asleep I never usually can sleep on public transport and we just both zonked out didn't hear anybody come into the compartment and then we woke up and was like, oh my God, everything's gone. So we were stranded in the South of France with no money and no tickets and no way to get home. Um, and after spending the night at Marseille station, which was a scary, very scary <laughs> experience, sleeping on the floor there or trying to, um, people kept trying to like, lure us away like with the promises of hot food and stuff. Mm. But We didn't go with them, obviously. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be here to tell the tell this tale. Um, we had to hitchhike home. It took like two weeks to hitchhike from Marseille to calais um, and then years later, I thought well, when I was look, when I was trying to think of ideas for books because I based the magpies on real nightmare neighbors that I'd had, and I based because she loves me on a real um very jealous girlfriend that I'd had when I was at university. <laughs> And my editor said to me, well, what are the terrible things have happened to you that you can... <laughs> you know, also, because she loves me, I had a detached retina. And I, so there was, oh, there's wow. lots of stuff about eyes in that book. And that all came from the horrible experience I had with that. Um, and, yeah, so I thought back to this trip. And I thought, well, I'll move it somewhere much spookier than France and moved it to Transylvania.
0: Of course,
1: you can't get much <laughs> spookier than that, can you?
0: So you've got quite a lot of your life informing your 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 stories. Do have you had? Uh, no. Do you have terrible in-laws?
1: No, no. I always get asked that, but I don't. I have. I mean, people say, "Well, you have to say that, don't you?" But it is true. My mother-in-law, in particular, is very supportive um of my career and was actually the first person who ever bought one of my books oh
0: wow because i know
1: that she bought it like the moment it was published on her kindle so
0: um
1: and she's read them all and she's always one of my first readers and my father-in-law's read a few as well i've got the horrific
0: in-laws were inspired by someone else's horrific in-laws then well
1: they were they were kind of based on an ex's parents, or, the, or her <laughs> dad anyway. But I can't really say much more because I don't want to be... Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> it's, done it's for funny.
1: Life. <laughs> When
0: I, when I was reading that book, it was just around the same time that we'd just moved in with my mother-in-law. So we've always uh, been neighbours um, and we just started all living together around that time and it just, yeah, right. it, it, it really amused me. Luckily, my mother-in-law's wonderful and we're all very happy to, to live together, yeah. but none of us are planning yeah. on moving out. Just
1: like, yeah. <laughs> Well, the thing, with, the thing with here to stay was that <laughs> it was originally going to be him so, for people who don't know what it stays about, it's about this guy who meets uh he meets a, he's he kind of lives on his own with his cat in this nice house that he's refurbished in South London. He meets a woman they have a whirlwind romance get married really quickly, and the day they're home from the honeymoon, she says, "Oh my parents and sister who been living in France are coming back to the u k and they just need somewhere to stay for a couple of weeks. Can they come and stay with us and Of course he says yes." And then they move in and he can't get rid of them. And they turn out to be psychopaths. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I mean, it was so much fun to write that book. I mean, I think that's my best book. If I had to have one, one book that I, that I kind of had buried with me in my grave, it would be that one.
0: Why do you like that one so much? Why, why do you think that's the best?
1: I, do, I, do, I really love the characters. I love the bad. The bad I think the baddies are really good. Jeff and Lizzie were so much fun to write and all the siblings, the kids as well, the siblings. And I like the fact that it goes to very dark places in the final third. Um, I had my first review in America said this is an example of the new nihilistic Fiction coming out of England, and and there's nothing to redeem this book. It's so dark and so with such a bleak view of human nature. And like, I was like, oh my god, that's such a terrible review. Um, they really hated it because they thought it was so bleak and so dark. But I, but actually, the more people, the majority of people, actually like it because they like they like the darkness. They like the fact that it you. I wanted people to read that book and be like screaming at the pages. I like, wanted to like reach in and and throttle the the villains in it. And I think I and I think that I really achieved that with that book. That's what I think, anyway. From the kind of they,
0: and 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 one of the things I found was I had to binge read it because I was so worried about the cat.
1: <laughs> yeah, so and I remember
0: that, tweeting you, be like the cat, the cat.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Well, the, I mean, you were one among many because I got so many messages from people saying. I don't know. I'm on page 50 or something, and I can't read on until I know that the cat's going to be okay. So can you (laughs) reassure me? And I'm like, well, do you really want spoilers? Um, And they were like, yeah. I can't honestly. I can't read it if the cat's going to die so which is really funny because people don't care about humans being killed no that's it
0: There were, yeah. you know, they're, they're, there's plenty of uh, death counts of uh, of human beings in, in in your books but the cat really yeah like no the cat really got me and particularly well, I, I think because in my mind it was your beautiful cat uh who
1: <laughs> yeah peggy maybe yeah yeah well um i think i wrote that before we got peggy it was like i've got three cats and uh, I think that anybody who follows me on social media will know how much I love my cats. So they they should be reassured that I'm never going to, like, hurt a cat in one of my books. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all safely, uh, safely, read yeah, them. or a dog or a dog or, or I mean, there, you do get dead animals turning up in my books. Like there's a dead, there's some dead rats in the magpies, but you don't actually see them die. They just kind of. You don't meet them before they die.
0: I love that, though, you're like, I would never harm an animal, but humans, I mean, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of the gold, I mean, this is one of the things that when crime or horror writers kind of get together, this is one of the things we talk about, is the fact that we get so many complaints about animals, swearing, um, sex, but violence, it's fine. You can, you can do whatever you want to people. Um, yeah. So you get
0: complaints about swearing and sex,
1: really? Oh, loads, yeah. In fact, here to stay, If you, you probably didn't notice that there's no swearing in that book. Because as an experiment, I went through and took mm-hmm. out every swear word to see whether it made any difference to the reviews on Amazon. And did it? And actually, it didn't. But I mean, it means there's no bad reviews saying this book is full of F words. Please be be wary because you get that a lot especially in america you'll get reviews that are just reviewing it based on whether it's got swearing and, really? and blasphemy as well so, so are you, you quite write,
0: differently received generally in america than you are in the uk
1: yeah much more successful in the uk um and i think people get my books more over here they kind of understand the the humor or something i don't know it's a really hard market to crack America, not just because it's so vast and there's so many writers, but for for a British author, there are a few who've who've made it, like Lisa Jewels, really popular over there. I know The Girl on the Train was like a big book, and there's been there there are some British authors who make it, but most don't. And Follow You Home is by far my biggest seller over there. And I wonder whether that's because it wasn't just set in England. But then The House Guest set in New York has kind of done okay, but it's still been a bigger, a bigger hit in in the UK. So um, yeah, it's, I would love to be to, to sell more books in America. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got a loyal fan base in America and I get, when I do my Facebook parties and I do my competitions and so on, I get loads and loads of people from America taking part. But when you consider America's five times as big as the UK, really you should have five times as many readers in, in the U S if you're as popular over there. So yeah, but you do get complaints about swearing from England as well. I mean, I know people who I used to go out with somebody who worked in a library and, and people used to tip X out all the swear words in the library books (laughs)
0: wow that's interesting yeah yeah and i find it interesting that that would be the most offensive thing in one of your books um that's yeah Yeah.
1: i know there's much worse stuff happening than people swearing but i do i do think twice and i do think is this f word really necessary yeah Um, so
0: how does the writing process work for you things it sounds like you've got like quite a few different ideas and you've got more than one thing on the go. And I mean, yeah, how you know, since you've done it full time, is there a specific mm-hmm. pattern that you follow?
1: Well I'm usually only right working on one thing at a time. I I have tried writing two things and my brain just got completely scrambled and I can't <laughs> help cope. So I went down to just to working on one project at a time. Uh, and what usually happens is that I will start out with just a, an opening situation or a premise, and I won't know how it's going to end. And I won't, and I'll know a couple of things that are kind of going to happen along the way. Like I'll have a few scenes in my head, like important scenes that I've, that I've pictured. Um, and then I will just kind of, so almost like brain dump, this the first draft. Like everything that I can think of, I'll just throw everything in there. Like characters that kind of disappear and storylines that don't really go anywhere, and um, and just every idea that I can that I can come up with um, in the first draft. So I just end up with this kind of. Mess, <laughs> like 90 to 100,000 words of mess. Um, and then I will spend months kind of trying to make sense of it and actually find the story within that. Okay. So I'll give you an example. So the book that I'm writing now, and this one was particularly difficult because of lockdown and the children being around. So I have just spent the whole of, I went from, I started in February, I think. And I went from like February to July, um, writing the the kind of very, very messy first draft. And I actually, because I was finding it so hard to concentrate and to find the hours in the day to actually get the writing done because of the kids being here, I've got three children. Um, normally in that time I would get a whole first draft done like in three or four months it takes me to kind of do this big some people call it a vomit draft where you just (laughs) get everything down on the page and I'd only actually got about two thirds of the way through and it was and it was just it was a total mess I didn't really know where it was going what was going to happen it was all over the place so I I rented an airbnb um for five days and I went away and I just forced myself to kind of sit there all day, like 12 hours a day on my own.
0: You know, the dangers of writing retreats though, right? Have you not read the retreat? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was, this one was fine because I was completely on my own and it was in the middle of a town. It wasn't in any creepy woods. And uh, yeah, and and I just, and then I rewrote the first two thirds of that book, like completely from scratch. I must have written like 50 or 60,000 words in those five days just really concentrating hard. And then I got home and then I wrote like the final third. But it was still difficult and quite messy. Um but and then I went through it again and again until I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm not too ashamed now to send this to my publisher to look at. Um. Um, so I then sent it to my publisher. They they my editor is actually in I've got two editors, one's in Seattle and one's over here in London, and they read it, and then they confer, and then they send me their notes. And they had a lot of notes, a lot, a lot of notes, and a lot of suggestions. And so I'm now over the next month redrafting it again, and I, and I'm having to make a lot of changes to do with the plot and the characterization and the atmosphere. And so I'm going through another very intense period now of of reworking it. I mean, the kind of, the the basic story is there, is it's fine. It's just the way that, to do with like the clarity of what's going on and the motivations of the bad guys and the, and the relationships between the main characters. I've got to kind of work on all of that stuff and like the red herrings and the and trying to make it more intense. Um, there's, yeah, so there's still, still a lot of work to do and I have to do it very fast to kind of meet the, the editing and the publication schedule. So it's quite, a. I mean, each book is, I think, I sometimes think that people imagine that a writer sits down and kind of plans it all out and then just writes it from beginning to end yeah. And then they the editor just kind of corrects the spelling mistakes <laughs>
0: I mean that's how writing works for nonfiction for me <laughs> yeah, it, your your version sounds a lot more complicated
1: it's really i mean there are writers who are plotters who will who will sit down and plot out the whole book before they write a word and I just can't do that i just can't i just find that the the, the ideas don't come until I'm actually immersed in it and i'm and I'm in the character's brains, and I'm and I'm um, in the story and in the in the setting, and I know that my process, my way of doing it is more painful and, and messier and and um, maybe a more long-winded way of doing it. Although I don't spend two months plotting it out before I start, because the idea is just to me that would feel quite sterile and mm. and and I would. And also, I would never write the books. So if I knew exactly what was going to happen, I would have no motivation to write it at all. It would become a very boring... Well, that's
0: place. really interesting. So you're you kind of you're enjoying it in the same way that I find your books are terrible yeah. for my sleep because I have to keep reading, which is not yeah. good because sleep is important. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, that urge to turn on and you're feeling the same mm-hmm. with the writing.
1: Yeah. I, I The fun for me is... It's working out the story and, and discovering the story. And uh, and you'll find, when I say that I throw all these things in and some of them don't work and have to be removed, but when things do connect up, it's amazing. It's like this magical moment where you've kind of had these quite separate ideas and suddenly you think, oh, yeah, because of that, this works. And that works. Um, oh, my God, that's amazing. It's, it's like, <laughs> wow, it's like I, my subconscious mind planned it all out for me. And you'll find as well that the subconscious mind does do a lot, in fact. So when I'm asleep, I'll often go, I'll, every night I will go to bed with all of these problems whirring through my head and eventually manage to get to sleep. And then I'll wake up quite often with the answer. Yeah. Or I'll go on a dog walk or I'll be doing the washing up or stacking the dishwasher or whatever. That's when all the answers come, not when you're sitting there kind of staring at the computer screen trying to trying to uh, come up with the answer um it's I mean the the human mind is quite an amazing thing the imagination and sometimes I feel so tired I'll sit down and think I just can't do this I can't do this again I can't I can't fix this problem I just want to give up and somehow you always kind of overcome it and always, and always come up with the answer, even when you're exhausted and it's like having to climb a mountain again. <laughs> yeah, and you've done it. And that's what it feels like actually sitting down to write a book. It's like having to, you've just, you've just climbed this mountain and, and come down. And it's like, great, well done. Okay, now go and do it again. <laughs> again. And every mountain is a little bit higher, and the weather conditions are a little bit worse. So, yeah, it does definitely. I always say this to to debut authors that it doesn't get any easier. In fact, it gets harder because you'll use up the your well. You'll be you'll be dipping into your well of ideas and experiences, and um, yeah, it gets harder and harder as as time goes on.
0: Nice cheery thought there. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I
1: know.
0: <laughs> it, it sounds like your um, relationship with your editors is is really important as well. And I think I'd hmm. maybe sort of naively assumed that um, I don't know. I maybe hadn't really thought about what their their kind of role in the process is. But it sounds like they're they're quite invested and, and quite important.
1: Oh yeah, incredibly so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my I've, my editor, his name's David. I've worked with him on nearly all of the books. Um, except there was a couple where he wasn't well, so he couldn't do them, The Retreat, and In Her Shadow was with a different editor, but all of the other books. Um, And it's a bit like having a coach, I guess, Mm. who's, if you're an athlete, who's driving you on to kind of do your best and do as well as you can. Um, And he will never kind of just let me say, oh, that'll do it's always like, well, this could be better. This can be better. And sometimes it's like, oh, this is so maddening. You just want him to say, yeah, that's fine now. Like, <laughs> what, have you, and he doesn't really come up with, so editors tend to tell you the problems rather than the solutions. Right. So they then send you away with, well, this doesn't work. And I think you need to, um, you need to look at this again um, because of whatever. So and then um, you end up with this great kind of puzzle that you're trying to solve, and I mean li- I'm literally in the middle of that now, and it is it is really really hard. So I'm having to go through like, every every page of the book, looking at all the characters and everything that's going on, um, and every time you change something, there's like a ripple effect through the book, okay. and then you've got to find all of the all of the things that were affected by the, by the the single change that you made. But yeah, the editors are so important. And yeah, I think that, like I said, readers, I think often imagine that the editor is there just to kind of correct your grammar or to kind of spot mistakes, but it's much, much more than that. It's about, it's about the story. Um, and everything that you find in the book. And then you have copy editors and proofreaders come along later. So there'll be three different stages. So you have what's called the development, sorry, developmental edit, or or some people call it a structural edit. That's the one I'm doing now. That's the hard, the big hard one. Then you'll have the copy edit who look for consistency and use of language. Um, and kind of like factual errors or whatever they'll be like oh would it really be dark at 7am and well you said this was a tuesday and now it seems like three days have passed and you're saying it's a sunday and all these kind of horrendous <laughs> things you have to try timelines oh my god i hate timelines so much <laughs> <laughs> i remember when i was writing the retreat there's a bit where he goes into the woods and it's meant to be dusk and i was having to consult calendars and work out exactly when dusk was and then having to change everything that happened that day in the book to make sure that the time was correct so that he'd be going into the woods at exactly the right time just in case some eagle-eyed reader somewhere spotted it and I still let mistakes get through like the river flows the wrong way in that book I oh, really from people saying uh, the river is meant to be flowing out to sea not Or is it the other way round? I don't know, I got it the wrong way round anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so embarrassing. I also made a mistake, a Lord of the Rings mistake in um, Follow Your Home, which nobody spotted. Something to do with what the hobbits were up to with the ring. And um, it's just a throwaway reference, a metaphor to do with with, uh, Sauron and Mordor. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, the angry emails that I got from Tolkien fanatics <laughs> about this mistake. <laughs> so anyway, the copy editors sometimes miss stuff, but that's that's what their job is. And then the proofreader goes through and corrects any um grammatical errors and typos and make sure that you're you're capitalizing your proper nouns and 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 then I also have to think about American versus British English because yeah my books are published in the same editions uh, in both countries and Canada and Australia. So I have to kind of use language and avoid terms that people aren't going to understand. Yeah. Otherwise I will get more emails from people saying, what's a skip, you know, like a thing that you put rubbish in. I yeah. can't say rubbish either.
0: No trash. because Trash life, or garbage
1: mm. as in a dumpster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, God, it's a minefield. <laughs>
0: yeah, I find even with my stuff that can be tricky because, um, like, if I'm talking uh, about schools, so in in the UK, then we often talk about having a pastoral role within a school. But as soon as you yeah. do that in America, they're thinking about like pastoral always refers to the church, um, right. and right. you know, little things. Like, but yeah, nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is that does that make it harder in terms of your flow, or do you do your kind of your your Vomit uh, in <laughs> how you would speak, and then kind of yeah. I everything.
1: tend to kind of tidy that up later, and it's you <laughs> having the American editor is because he will pick up on all the stuff that I wouldn't have even yeah. thought about. I mean, for example, I, I keep using campsite, and he's created them all to campground. Just simple things like that, mm. because British readers will understand what that means, whereas an American reader will be like, well, "What's a campsite?" Um. And uh, and you can also go down weird rabbit holes to search as well. So for example, I today I was having to Google the age of and Juliet law, so that if you're 15, you're allowed to have relations with somebody five years older than you, but not older than five years. And I was like, that's the law now, but was it in 1999? Because there's a section of my books with these teenagers in 99. And so, oh my God, I spent ages and ages trying to find the answer to this question. Um, or trying to find what films they might have been watching in 99 if they were teenagers and what months they came out. And mm-hmm. and so there's all this stuff that people will will spot if you're not careful. Um, and And... And the amount of kind of like Googling I had to do around like disposal of bodies and, and, (laughs) um, (laughs) and how to poison somebody and how to smuggle drugs through an airport and how to, um, yeah i mean this is another thing that's like a common joke among crime writers is our google search histories that we must all be on some kind of watch list <laughs> because yeah the kind of stuff that you have to research is just is bizarre <laughs> uh, when i was googling like age of consent today i was thinking oh this feels really sleazy giggling <laughs> this stuff i need to know for these these characters and um and i've like, here to stay it's hard to say without giving spoilers but i spoke I spoke to a couple of um, toxicologists, and because um, some of the stuff that Elliot has to do in the last third of that book, I needed to know um, what you would do if, because he's a scientist, like what would he know and how, about murdering people? Like, what? How can he put his scientific skills to use? <laughs> the geeky people would love
0: that. I I did find myself looking it up again. Is that really? <laughs>
1: did you? <laughs> Yeah, you, you kinda of, you so you actually do learn a lot and I think that people like feeling like they're learning stuff when mm-hmm. they're reading as well. I do, I, I know that I do. Yeah. Even if it's slightly nonsensical stuff. And there's a reason why Dan Brown is so popular is because people feel like they're learning something when they when they read his books. Yeah. Um or I don't know, if you're reading Patricia Corman or something, you feel like you're learning lots about forensics and yeah. and um, pathology. So, um, yeah, you. Ha- I went to the local university here in Wolverhampton, has a crime scene lab. And I went and, and spoke to the forensic anthropologist there and they showed me their... They've got, like, this room that's, like, a mocked-up crime scene with blood spatter on the walls and... And it's really interesting because that's where they train the the police and the, oh, wow. the um, and the CSIs. So yeah, you you it's really really interesting. And yeah. sometimes the research is really annoying because it gets in the way of a good story. Because you want something to happen one way, and it's like, oh, that's can I? And you have to decide whether you can bend the truth,
0: yeah,
1: or yeah, not, for the sake of drama.
0: And do you think that you will always write
1: always write? I thought you were going to say always write this kind of st- um yeah i I hope so i hope so. I can't ever picture myself retiring I just i I feel like my imagination the stories are in me, and I need to get them out to the page if somebody said if somebody um if i if I was so rich if I was JK Rowling I never had to write again never have to work another day um maybe I wouldn't work quite as hard (laughs) (laughs) but I would still do it I would still I would still be writing and until I got to the point where I felt like I wasn't that the quality control was gone I think that's the most important thing as long as I feel like I'm writing good stuff and I've got things to say and I'm entertaining people then I'll always do it and I mean in the moment I do it for a living I mean I have to do it um I've got to the point now where I can't do anything else I'm I haven't worked in an office for seven or eight years now I'm probably unemployable (laughs) (laughs) what what did
0: you used to do when you because you used to write and and have a, a, a job alongside Oh, another job. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, in my 20s, I worked in customer services and, and just admin and just kind of jobs where I didn't have to think about them when I got home and I could put all of my creative uh, energy into writing and trying to be a writer and not really getting anywhere with the writing. But I did. I was really trying. Then in my 30s, I was working in um, I, I worked in Japan for a year as an English teacher and then when i came back i worked in online marketing like digital marketing um and in fact when i was doing that those jobs and i was managing people and had lots of responsibility my right i kind of pretty much stopped writing for a few years because my job took up all of my time and all of my energy And then there was a period kind of in around 2011, 2012, when I finally got published and started uh, writing again that I was trying to do both and it was really difficult. I actually only had one or two years where where I was published and doing a day job as well. And I'm lucky because actually most writers still have to have day jobs so I'm lucky that i'm I'm successful enough to be able to do it full time um, and luckily I'm very good at motivating myself and and um and, and writing a book at least one every year and meeting my deadlines and um, uh yeah so I'm going to keep doing it until either A, I can afford not to have to do it anymore or B, I feel like I'm not, I'm not, uh, it's time to quit. I admire Lee Child, for example, who has just resigned, who just retired, not resigned, retired.
0: Didn't he kind of pass and, the bat on to his brother though or something or if I imagined yeah
1: he's passed it on to his brother and he said he said this I listened to an interview with him that I think he's 65 or 66 now and he just felt like he he was just tired and mm. he just felt like he he felt like he's still on the top of his game now, but he could see at some point in the near future. The point was going to come where his heart wasn't in it, and he was yeah. just going to be uh, phoning it in. So he decided to stop now, and um, uh, maybe that. God, that's, this is quite a depressing thing to talk about. Maybe <laughs> that day will come. I'm still, I'm still um, in my late forties, so hopefully, and your stories left moment. in you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, some people like Stephen, Stephen King's 74 and he's still going really strong. So, so uh, yeah, hopefully I'll still be going into my 70s.
0: I hope so, because I look forward to your books every year. <laughs> yeah, Good, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep
1: maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be able to hand on to one of my kids at one point.
0: Are any of them aspiring writers?
1: Yeah, well, my daughters one of my daughters in particular is really into uh, writing. She writes fan fiction at the moment. And um, although they're just kind of turning, getting to a point where they're, they're what, playing more video games and watching more Netflix than they are reading, which is a bit frustrating, but there's not much I can do about it. But hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll get, my sons have shown no interest in books whatsoever. And they will only read when they're forced to um, which is but they're still they're still only seven and nine maybe they'll maybe they'll get into books. you never know.
0: You know? How old would you want them to be before you let them read your books?
1: Oh, that's a good question because actually one of' like my oldest daughter's fourteen now and I think she's probably old enough um i mean she's read stephen king yeah. and she's read like the color purple and things like that and and uh yeah she and she watches she's she watches horror films she's watched like the annabelle films and jaws and stuff like that so she's she she watches like mature or reads mature yeah. stuff i suppose i just feel a little bit cringe about her reading like the sex scenes in my books that's quite an uncomfortable (laughs) idea
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you might still feel like that when she's 30 I think that's
1: just a parent maybe maybe. Maybe. and actually the recent books I wouldn't want her to read the magpies because that's a bit x-rated but (laughs) the more recent books and that's funny isn't it I'm more I'm more comfortable with her reading like the the violence and the nasty stuff than than the uh (laughs) so um yeah if she If she wanted to read them, then yeah, that'd be fine. But she hasn't, they haven't shown, neither of my daughters have shown a huge amount of interest in reading my books yet. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, Uh, what I should do is tell them that they're not allowed to and then they'll want to that's yeah
0: that's that's definitely the way forwards with kids yeah. isn't it um i would love to close with if you have any um kind of advice for anyone uh listening in who might be an aspiring writer and loads of the people in my network obviously mm-hmm. are kind of teachers and, and educators who might be looking to inspire young people to, to write or to read
1: yeah well i mean the first one is obviously read a lot if you want to be a writer you've got to read a lot Um, and read the kind of things that you love don't read things that you think are good that people tell you are good for you I had so many arguments with my English teacher at school about the merits of Stephen King versus um, I don't know E.M. Forster or somebody who I was forced to read and it was so painful uh, or Thomas Hardy. I still have a hatred of all the stuff that I was that they tried to make me read at school. I still can't read Dickens or Hardy or anything like that. Um and yeah, so read the stuff that, that, that excites you. And and when you're if you want to be a writer, I think the important thing is to again you've got to write stuff that you feel passionate about the stuff that kind of comes from deep within you. Don't think, Oh, psychological thrillers are popular. So I'll try and write a psychological thriller or, or or any, or any genre. Um, And when you do kind of find the kind of stories that you want to tell, you need to be, if you want to be published, you've got to be very clear about exactly where you fit So you need to know which authors you're like, which which kind of books you would sit alongside on the bookshelf. You can't say, Oh, my book's a little bit this or a little bit that, or it's a hybrid of three completely weird disconnected things. You've got to have a kind of a strong commercial idea of where you sit in the market. If you want to be able to find an agent and then find the publisher, and I think that's what kind of held me back for a long time is that I didn't have that clear vision of exactly the kind of like my what my brand was. And people hate talking about themselves as brands, but kind of sometimes you do have to think like that to know exactly what kind of books you're writing. If you're just writing for a hobby or for pleasure or whatever, it doesn't matter, but if you want to write, as a career then you you do have to know that kind of stuff so yeah that's my that's the kind of thing i always say to aspiring writers is well where do you fit can you describe your book in a sentence or two um and you've got to have that real clarity of vision about yourself and your books